Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 82 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by the Painted Lines. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter at halfandhalf underscore TPL. I'm joined today by the best faceless co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover Radio Show. It is Mark Henry Jr. back tonight without a camera once again. You can follow him on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. underscore. Fill up his tip jar. Maybe gambling hasn't been going as good this year. Fill up his tip jar so we can get him a webcam. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I got to make the people want it. You know, uh, the, the people the people can't get me every week. Uh, so sometimes you get to see uh, this face for radio, and sometimes you just get to hear uh, the dulcet tones of my voice. Mark's really between haircuts right now, so he, he slapped that <laughs> That's camera actually down. True. And... <laughs> if anything, I'm between uh like we were talking about last week or the week before i need to get back to having my beard that's that's really what it is once i have once the beard's fully back i'll be back on every week (laughs) he's hiding his patchy beard in shame while he tries to grow it out like me uh who also got the beard trim mine's much shorter now than it was but we'll get it back we'll get it back in time for the playoffs yeah we got to start growing the playoff beard (laughs) so the title of tonight's podcast is it's time for the nerds to run the NFL and we're going to get into some shoddy clock management from Jeff Saturday and Todd Bowles we're going to get into some analytics from Brandon Staley and from Doug Peterson both going for two to win games but before we do uh, we're going to start off like we normally do uh, with the Eagles game on Sunday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers it was a high scoring affair Uh, the Eagles win the game 40 to 33 as the Eagles rushed for 363 yards on the night. Just a phenomenal performance on the ground. Miles Sanders had 21 carries for 143 yards, which was a career high, and two touchdowns. Uh, Jalen Hurts rushed for 157 yards, 100 of which came in the first quarter, uh, and he broke Michael Vick's single-game franchise record of 130. Uh, He was so close to breaking Justin Fields' record for the most yards in a game. And to be honest, Mark, I feel like Nick Sirianni didn't realize that or just knowing his personality, I feel like he would have made sure they got the record. Yeah, he kind of alluded to that um, in the postgame presser. Uh, someone asked him about the, the record and how close they were. And he's like, before he even answered, he's like, how close were we? And they were like 15 ah. yards. And he's like, ah, like you could kind of see him. He's like, oh, I wish I would have known that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, love Nick Sirianni. He loves to pander to the fan base and the and the players with the T-shirts and all that stuff, and I love it. But there's no doubt in my mind he would have went for the record if he knew. So uh, Jalen Hurts also, he becomes the first player in NFL history to both rush and pass for over 150 yards and throw two or more touchdown passes in the same game. So pretty historic night for Hurts and the offense as well. Yeah, and I, it was interesting how, you know, I keep going back to this press conference, I guess, but it was interesting how Sirianni talked about it. Um, and in, immediately after, they were kind of asking about, uh, was it a game plan to, to get Hurts running more tonight or after he had success early? Um, was it something that you wanted to kind of attack and get back to? And Sirianni gave an interesting answer, kind of being like, no, it's not necessarily a game plan. and It's not necessarily what we were planning to do. But when you have the weapon that is Jalen's legs, he makes plays that are off schedule and he makes plays that you don't have to game plan for. Um, And it really is such a weapon. I mean, you saw it on the first third down of the game. 
third and ten, he he runs for that that long run. He made about four dudes miss in in the course of that run to gain extra yardage. He really is just it's an it's an insane luxury to have these Lamar, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts types that basically provide a cheat code for you if you have the offense around them to do so. So I I wanted to touch on this because. um, I've heard this a, a little bit of sentiment out there, and you know, most of it's coming you're, from. You're, hey, Mark, you're cutting the, in and out the a little least bit here. smart. Okay, am I am I okay right now? Yeah, yeah, you're better now. It was kind of fading in and out a little bit. I'll, I'll no, move it right after I'm you. done this point uh, to a different. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk here for a second, and we'll get Mark back when he, he gets that situated there. So, uh, Also, a notable night for Jason Kelsey, who started his 170th game as an Eagle, uh, which I believe gives him the most starts of any player in Eagles franchise history. So um, just kind of crazy to think about some of the guys that have been in Philly for so long. Uh, they talked about it on New Heights podcast, Jason and Travis Kelsey, that you know, you've got like the top four guys are under Jason Kelsey, but then it's like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. So like the core of this team, some of these vets, they've been here for so long. And sometimes you take that for granted because a lot of teams don't have that stability. So a uh, cool thing to see there, just Jason Kelsey getting that record, Jalen Hurts getting a record, Miles Sanders setting a career high as the Eagles dropped 40 points. They only punted the ball once on the night. And so uh, a pretty phenomenal showing from the offense. I moved, so I hope that that's better. I apologize to the people out there uh, for, for the bad Wi-Fi. Uh, but what I was saying, and I will chime in on what, what, uh, what Shane just said about the older players and how it is cool to have that stability, because I, I want to talk about Brandon Graham in a minute. Um, but I, I will just say the Jalen Hurts negativity um, that I've seen that kind of try to poo-poo the things he's done this year and poo-poo the level of improvement that he's taken – it's just nonsense, whether it be kind of trying – I saw you and you and Victor Williams tweeting a ton about kind of the RPO narrative and, and people trying to use that as if it's a, as if it's a negative. When, and I saw a tweet, and someone put it perfectly um, in, response to, in response to your tweet, where it's like these people that are coming at the RPO and acting like it's some you know, easy thing to do have never played a game of Madden in their life. It's, you, you have to make such a split decision – and you have to read the defense. In in reality, it's a tough play, and it's a it's a football savvy play, and it's a, a play that requires a ton of football IQ. And Jalen's shown that he has it in spades, and he's shown that he can improve upon it. But my whole thing w- with Jalen, and specifically more so from an overall standpoint, the, the offense. I've heard some like, "Oh, Jalen is using rushing as a crutch," or "Oh, this isn't going to work in the playoffs." And you know what? Defense decides we're going to take that away. That's why you have A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard. And I've heard people say, like, if Lamar Jackson can't do what he do, can't do this in the playoffs, then neither can Jalen Hurts. Well, guess what? Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, and A.J. Brown are all better than any pass catcher Lamar Jackson's had in his entire career. And all three of them are on the same team at the same time for Jalen Hurts. So, you know what? Defenses, like, if you really want to, use a QB spy. Bring someone off of. That means that you're leaving two of A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard single coverage. 
I mean, that's that's basically the math there, right? Yeah, I'll just tell you that uh, two of those big runs Hurts broke against the Packers, they had a spy on him too. Because, honestly, there's not there's like maybe one or two guys in the NFL that you could trust to spy Hurts consistently. Because if you're fast enough, if you're quick enough to keep up with him, you're probably not strong enough to bring him down. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a numbers game. The Eagles are good at everything offensively. And so can you sh- – so, you know, people saying that you can't run in the playoffs. Well, you can. And if the other team wants to commit enough resources to stop it, then you're just giving easy passing windows to a team that's also very good passing the ball. So, yeah, uh, it, it's just been incredible what the offense has been able to do. Now, they did struggle, you know, a couple weeks before this, and then they – you know, just feasted on a Packers defense that particularly against the run is atrocious, but just in general is a bad defense. So we'll see if it carries over into the Titans, who are a very good defense Um, this weekend. It'll be a really good test for the offense. Yeah, obviously this isn't a preview. This is a review, but I'll just say I am terrified of this Tennessee Titans matchup um, coming up this weekend. I'm terrified that the Eagles are five and a half point favorites. Uh, when they were six and a half point favorites against Green Bay, who's a much worse team than Tennessee. Honestly, like that line makes no sense to me. Uh, if I wasn't an Eagles fan out there, I'd be betting Tennessee plus five and a half. I think that that is a, a really smart bet. I think there's a really good chance Tennessee wins that game. To, to be quite honest, I view this as like a 50-50 toss-up game. I think that the Gardner-Johnson injury is really, really going to hurt them this week. No Goddard. I think is really going to hurt them more than it did this week against a much better and a much smarter uh, Titans defense. Uh, and, you know, Mike Vrabel, we're going to talk about it uh, when we get to his game, I guess. I, I guess not. We probably won't talk about it much since the loss. But I think Mike Vrabel is a top five coach in football. And if you're giving me Mike Vrabel off of a loss, the stats there are not great for the other team. So um, I, I am definitely nervous for that Eagles game. I think it's going to be – Besides Dallas, the toughest game we have remaining on the schedule. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, flipping over to the Eagles' defense, so the defense gives up 33 points. Um, I'm strangely not very – I'm not very concerned about that. Uh, obviously, Green Bay had a 13-yard touchdown drive after the A.J. Brown fumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a 37-yard touchdown drive after uh, the failed QB sneak – actually, the back-to-back failed QB sneaks uh, – they had three short fields by virtue of the kick team being awful. And so, you know, you lose Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, all that taken into account. I, I really not that concerned. They had the big touchdown play to Christian Watson, which I think was just a total blessed coverage. It was cover one. Um, so Marcus Epps was playing with outside leverage, expecting inside help. And, and for mm-hmm. some reason, the nickel corner was on the weak side instead of over the slot receiver. And anytime you're going to have Marcus Epps on Christian Watson, that's an immediate loss. So I feel like that has to do with just the secondary shuffling and some confusion there. There's no schematic reason you would have your nickel corner not over the slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some fluky things like that. I'm I'm honestly not concerned about the defense. The Packers ran the ball a little better than you would like, but it is what it is. I, I just felt like down a safety – Already against Aaron Rodgers, you didn't want to overplay the run and open up Aaron Rodgers' passing. And then down a safety, you're limited even more in what you can commit to the run. So I really wasn't concerned about the defense after this game. Now the special teams, it's horrendous, but I'm kind of tired of talking about it. 
Yeah, well, maybe we can talk about the special teams in a minute, but um, I, I'm right there with you on the defense. And again, this is the third time in this podcast that I'm referencing the Nick Sirianni postgame. Um, but he kind of echoed the exact sentiments you did, the, the, three, short, the, three, the three short fields, and um, he took full responsibility for the two fourth and ones, not the third and one and fourth and one not converting um, and, and kind of said that he takes full responsibility. That's not on the defense. That's on him. Um, and it's not on the offense that's on him. Um, I thought that that was interesting how he handled that in the media. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that you can judge a defense based on three short fields. And, and then, like you said, the Christian Watson t- touchdown is not like a long-term concern for me. Uh, clearly, there was some miscommunication. And then even after that miscommunication, Blankenship just took a terrible route to, to him and took a terrible angle where he probably could have cut that off instead of letting him take the sideline. Um, so there's a lot of really fixable stuff there with what the defense did. And it really felt like when they had to get stops and when they had to bear down, they kind of did. Uh, so I have no problem. Honestly, I thought that the pass rush looked really good in this game. I thought Sweat and Graham and Cox especially uh, looked really, really good. And they were, I don't know the numbers on pressures or hits or sacks or anything like that. But I, I know that all three kind of jumped off the screen to the point where I was texting with a buddy about Brandon Graham and it's insane that this guy is 35 coming off of a torn Achilles and he's playing the way he is. I mean, I don't necessarily know uh, if he's been great all year, but I think he's kind of picked it up as of late. Uh, and especially in this game, I thought he, I thought he was really, really good. Yeah. Brandon Graham is actually, he's been phenomenal all season. Now it's been, yeah. A, yeah. Smaller reps, they, they've definitely had him on a pitch count, which is just smart. He's an aging player coming off an injury. And obviously, you don't need him a ton with the year that Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick are having. So, uh, But, yeah, Brandon Graham's been really good. And Fletcher Cox probably had his best game of the year on the smallest snap count he's played this year. So I think that's the key moving forward is, I mean, you got you have to, at this point, you have to view Fletcher Cox as a role player. And if you can put him in the same situations you're putting Brandon Graham in, uh, 30 snaps a game, 20 snaps a game. It's really going to help the defense out down the stretch, I think. Uh, if you, I don't know if you have the snaps in front of you, but I, I'd be curious to hear uh, how much the, the D-line in general kind of played, especially Sue and Joseph. Um, because I, I did feel like I saw a little less, especially of Joseph. Um, I, that might just be an eye test thing, but it felt like he was a, a little less uh, impactful in, in this game than Sue or the other guys were. Yeah, Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave each played 31 snaps. Uh, prior to that, uh, Cox's least amount of snaps was 35. Hargrave's was 33. So it was a season low for both of them. Um, let's see. Linval Joseph played 30 snaps, which was actually up a few from the week before. Hmm. Uh, Sweat played 29 snaps, which was down. Brandon Graham played 21, which was down. Uh, Robert Quinn played 11, which... Jesus. I forgot he was on the team. Uh, Milton Williams played 18. Um, uh, where is where's Sue? I'm not seeing Sue on the list. Huh. That's but strange. I know, he, I know he played. Yeah, yeah, he definitely played. Um, that's surprising that Joseph's snaps were up. That's, that's definitely surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that you know, would you have liked them to stop the run better? Yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of, you know, people aren't going to like this take from me because I think people 
I think that there's this, you know, identity that people have with the run, whether it be running the ball a lot or stopping the run. Um, I think people kind of take those to be maybe even more important than they are at times. Um, I honestly am of the opinion that, you know, a lot of the new school defensive coordinators are like Brandon Staley and, uh, and Todd Bowles and also obviously Jonathan Gannon and a lot of these Vic Fangio disciples, you know, you let a team run for four yards per carry because it means they're not throwing the ball. I think in today's NFL, you kind of opt to get beat by the run if that's how they want to do it. Like, it's kind of like, God bless you if you do, God bless you if you don't situation. I, I am more and more as I watch more games and as time goes on and we kind of modernize the NFL more and more and we're having these games get decided on two-point conversions and we're having these games where teams come back from way down. I am starting to be of the mindset where I, I want to get beat by the run and I'll do whatever I can do schematically to stop the pass. And hopefully my personnel alone can kind of accomplish the task of stopping the run. So I don't have to devote the resources to it. Um, that's kind of the Eagles situation. Yeah. The, the Eagles uh, rushing EPA is 27th in the league defensively. They allow 0.005 EPA per rush. That means every 200 running plays you do against the Eagles, you add one expected point. I, I'll take that anytime. Wow. Yeah, I love that. That's a that's a great stat right there. So I, I'll also um, I, I found the Sue snap count. Sue played eighteen snaps. So, mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, so better rotation there uh, on the defense. I thought for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we've said enough about the offense and the defense, and you know all that stuff. I, I guess we can move on to the special teams, even though I'm sure you're as tired of talking and hearing about it as I am. It's probably going to cost them a game at some point, uh, whether that be in the regular season or whether that be in the playoffs, uh, because, you know, everyone's going to focus on the, the, the kick coverage and the punt coverage, and that's bad. But ultimately, I kind of think that that's something that can be fixed. Like, I, I think that that's something that just needs to be practiced. Like, there, you'd be hard-pressed to tell me that the Eagles can't field the guys that can figure that out in that situation. I don't think it's a personnel issue. Um, I, I think it's a coaching issue, and I think it's something that can be fixed. The kick the, or the punt return situation, on the other hand, man, it is rough. Britton Covey is the least deserving NFL player I can ever remember at this point. Uh, the guy d- calls these fair catches where he's got 10 yards of space. It's like, what are you doing, man? Like, I, I get it. Like, in today's NFL, we're not as reliant on – returns or kick returns in general and there's more fair catches across the league but when there's space there's space you're back there for a reason like you were one of the he was one of the best college punt returners of like the last decade and now he just can't do it in the pros and it's you know it, it's crazy to see i i wonder what what do you think about the britain covey situation i mean i i've kind of been out on him for a while going back to you know he's got two fumbles he hasn't had one in a while um He's got two fumbles. Thankfully, he's not doing that anymore. I will take, honestly, I'll just take no negative plays from the special teams. If we got a fair catch every punt, that's fine. I just want to stop. I don't want to give up fake punts. I don't want to get penalties on field goals. I don't want to miss extra points, and I don't want to let the team start around midfield. So, I mean, I would love to have a return game. I just want to not have negative plays, though, at this point. Like, that's not a high bar. But it's just kind of where I'm at with special teams at this point. Like, 
uh, the Eagles offense and defense are good enough. I don't need special teams to add points to the game. I just need them to stop taking points off the board. Yeah, I'm probably getting greedy by watching the team. Our opponents start at the 50 and yeah. our opponents start at the 40. So it's a trade-off of everyone else is getting mad at the kick and punt return coverage, which I'm mad at too. But then when I see our punt returner field a punt at the 30 where he could have walked to the 40, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, I'm watching the other team figure this out. And they're not fumbling. So, yeah, obviously. When when the Eagles had the sequence where they scored and then Jake Elliott missed the extra point. And so it was 13 to 0. And then you had the kick return you gave up to midfield. I tweeted that special teams has been atrocious. And it's not, it's probably not going to matter tonight, but it will matter during a game in January. And then the Packers ripped off 21 unanswered points and people were like, it might matter tonight. And for a minute, I thought it was going to, but you know, I just think, I just think of the Packers special teams costing them the playoff game last year against the 49ers. And that's really what I'm concerned about is just the catast- a catastrophic special teams failure. And it feels like it's coming. And if it's going to cost them a game, I sure hope it happens in the regular season, not in the playoffs. Yeah, I will say um, I have full faith in Jake Elliott. You know, knock on wood, if, you know, all the all the cliches. He just seems to miss an extra point every, like, six or seven weeks to get it out of the system. It's a bizarre <laughs> thing. seems like he's been doing it for three years now. But when it comes down to it with important kicks, it, it, he really does seem to hit hit it when it matters, and that's all I can ask for with a kicker. So, um, at least I do feel good about, like, one-fifth of the of the special teams. Including uh, but, the 50-plus yarder to put the game, make it a two-score game again at the end. I would not have kicked it in that situation, but Sirianni had the faith in the guy that missed an extra point earlier in the game, and it paid off. So that's interesting. What would you have done? I would have gone for it. I, I okay. don't feel like okay. – so I would rank it, go for it, kick the field goal, and then punt. Yeah, I just I don't. I don't think adding thirty yards of field position is that relevant, given the time that was left. There was plenty of time, so uh, I, I don't. I don't value that added yardage. I would have gone for it. I think it was fourth and three. I feel pretty confident that we can get three yards, and if we don't, I feel like the defense can get a stop. And if they don't, it's a tie game, so not a huge deal. Uh, if you didn't want to go for it, I would kick the field goal over punting, but my preference would have been to go for it. Yeah. I saw some people out there, uh, you know, advocating for the punt there. And I just, I can't even wrap my head around that to be quite yeah. honest. Like I think like analytically speaking by the numbers, I think it's a toss up to go for it or kick the field goal. Yep. I was just going to say that. I think I saw something on Twitter, punting yeah. is the only wrong decision you can make there. Yeah. I, I saw that after I, one of those, you know, one of those accounts that tweet out like the go for it probability of, of every situation and everything like that. I think it was, it was, they suggested to go for it, but it was like barely, like it was like neck and neck with kicking the field goal. And they asked Sirianni about that. And he's like, when you have a kicker like Jake, it's, it wasn't a, it was a no brainer. He, he, I guess, I think someone said, were you thinking about sending the offense out there? It looked like you kept Jalen on the field a little long. And Sirianni was like, absolutely not. I never had a second thought. Like, uh, so I guess it's good to know that, that he, uh, that he has full faith in Elliot there. Um, I didn't in the moment, <laughs> even though I was saying, I think I was saying while it was happening live that I was like, I think you take the field goal. Uh, but I, I certainly wasn't confident. I, it was one of those situations where if they would have went for it, I would have been fine with it and kicking the field goal. I would have been fine with it. But like you said, 
it was a huge field goal. I mean, you can't emphasize how big that was. If, if Green Bay gets the ball there, I mean, where are they getting it? You get it from the spot it's kicked, not from the spot that it's it's hiked. Uh, it so been like the 44, 43, 44 yard line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it was a fifty-three yard field goal or fifty-four. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was 50, 53 or fifty-four too. So yeah, I mean, that puts them right there at midfield. I mean, that's a that would have changed the game. Like, there's a chance you you end up going to overtime or in a day where a lot of teams won by going for two. It could have been a situation where you lost the game if Jake misses that kick, and when he does, mm-hmm. game's over and you ice it. So, uh, definitely a huge moment from the special teams at the end uh, to kind of make up for the rest of the nonsense from the rest of the game. Yeah. Last thing here, and then we'll move on. We got a comment coming in in the chat. Any thoughts on Malcolm Jenkins? Seen this going around on Twitter. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins uh, supposedly said he's he's ready to go if somebody gives him a call. Would you give Malcolm Jenkins a call? Absolutely. Um, I don't care if he's washed, to be quite honest. Like, get that leader in the locker room. And I'm not usually a leader guy. Like, I don't usually talk about things that aren't intangible, and I don't usually talk about uh, things in the locker room. But I have absolutely no doubts that Malcolm Jenkins is, like, one of the best teammates in the history of the Eagles and, uh, you know, one of the, you know, perfect leaders that you could have in sports um, regardless of how he is on the field. And to be honest, didn't he lead the Saints in snaps last year? Like, it's not like we're talking about a guy who barely played last year and, you know, we don't know if he he, has, he hasn't been around in a couple of years, like Eric Weddle almost last year. This is a situation where this guy played a ton last year. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he's I'm biased. He's one of probably my five favorite Eagles of all time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely biased, but I'd give him a call. Yeah, I agree. I'd absolutely bring him back. Um, Reed Blankenship might turn into a fine player. He had some good moments, but Malcolm Jenkins is a good player, and you're in a Super Bowl window, so I would make that move in a heartbeat. Uh, he also has flexibility to get into the slot. You know, when Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's back, if Vontae Maddox's injury lingers, whatever, uh, he's played in the box a lot if you'd wanted to get into some single high safety looks and put him in the box. So I just think his versatility is also a great special teamer. And I saw people say, you know, would he be okay? You know, would he be okay being a role player once Chauncey comes back? And I mean, he's not a player now, so I'm sure he would be fine being a role player for a team he's <laughs> spent a long time with that's got the best record in the NFL. So I would give him a call. Uh, well, I would have already done it, but I'll say I'll give him a call tomorrow. Don't want to wake him up tonight. <laughs> Is there any update on Avante right now that you that you have seen out there? Not that I've heard. Usually the first injury reports come out on Wednesday, uh, and that's where you start to get some of that. But he's technically, I believe, eligible to return this week off of IR. Now, that doesn't mean that he will. Uh, It just means he's missed the required four games. Yeah, I, you know, it's just one of those things where I feel like I haven't heard anything about it. Like, usually with the Jordan Davis injury and with, uh, Dallas Goddard. I, I've seen updates and I've seen like stuff like that. Avante Maddox is so important to this defense. Like I think this is one of those situations. Everyone's focused on Jordan Davis being out. Everyone's focused on Dallas Goddard being out. Now everyone's focused on CJ GJ being out. I don't think enough attention and enough talk has been paid to Avante being out and the fact that they've had to step up and re- and replace one of the best slot corners in the league. Um, so uh, I, maybe I'm just a little uh, a little overinflated on Avante Maddox, but um, I think they're definitely missing Avante. Yeah, I agree. If if you could bring – well, 
if I could bring one person right back right now, it would be Dallas Goddard. But yeah. if I could bring back one defensive player, it would be Avante. I think he's the most important. Yeah, I agree. And it, it kind of goes right back to what we were just talking about with, in terms of I'll let the run beat me uh, because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do whatever I can at this point to stop the pass and I'll do whatever I can to devote resources to that. And, and that's obviously up Avante's alley as opposed to running with Jordan Davis. That's not to say Jordan Davis isn't incredibly valuable. That's not to say it's not valuable to stop the run. Um, it, it's just kind of a personal preference, but I, I don't think enough, uh, enough attention has been paid to the fact that he's been out at all. I, I really don't think people have talked about it enough. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on a full slate of games this week. No buys on Thanksgiving week. And we just spent 30 minutes on the Eagles game. So buckle <laughs> up, uh, buckle up. We're going to have to get a move on, on some of these. So, Thanksgiving games. Uh, Buffalo had the first game. They go to Detroit and win 28 to 25. It was not a pretty Josh Allen game. I thought he missed a lot of. I, he misses a lot of the short throws, but he's hitting the long throws, and I'm sure it's got something to do with the elbow. But anyway, when he gets the ball back with 23 seconds left and all three timeouts, like the ending was predictable. Like I never doubted that he was going to lead a drive to put them ahead again. He rips a 36-yard pass over the middle to Stephon Diggs to get into field goal range, and they win the game. So uh, they, they escape. Uh, as, as rough as they've looked, they won two games on the road in five days. So, uh, you know, good for them. Uh, now they get a little bit of a long week. Hopefully they can recuperate Josh Allen. Now on Detroit's side, Amon Ross St. Brown had nine receptions for 122 yards and one touchdown. I remember geeking out about him last year in the year he was having. Uh, on the podcast and this is insane mark but jared goff ranks fifth in epa per drop back when amon ross st brown is healthy Mm -hmm. like when he's on the field that's just absurd like he has such an impact on this offense he's like mini cooper cup and the lions had their chances to win this game but a jamal adam or jamal williams fumble a jared goff safety they missed a 29 yard field goal those are going to haunt them yeah, man, Jared Goff is – he might be the weirdest player in the NFL. Like, I, I just, like, don't even know what my opinion is on Jared Goff because there's times where I watch him and I'm like, man, this guy's not a starting quarterback. Detroit needs to hit eject immediately and find that quarterback and you have multiple picks next year to do so. Um, and then there's games like this where you watch him and there, there's other games where you watch him and it's like, man, he, he's playing pretty well. Like, it seems like when he has his weapons, the offense has not been a problem a lot of times here for Detroit. So I, I almost think golf is putting Detroit in a weird situation where I don't know what you do in the offseason. I don't know if he's proved himself beyond drafting a guy. Do you draft a guy and keep golf as the starter? Or do you try to get rid of him? And what would his value even be? Um, uh I'll, I'll kind of let you I'm, I'm curious where you're at on a golf before I talk about the bills yeah I, I 100% would draft a quarterback um I think so too yeah yeah I, I'm pulling the trigger on a quarterback and I mean I'm fine with keeping golf around I, I'm probably I'm starting the rookie unless he just looks bad early on and needs a little more time but I just say when you're in the position Jared Goff's not your long-term guy if you're in the position I think you got to go you got to go get the guy is he a starting quarterback in the NFL is he a top 32 quarterback I think he's I think he's top 32 in terms of his performance, but he's at that level that you want to replace with somebody that might be better. 
The Jacoby Brissett level? Yeah. I, I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett than Jared Goff. He's younger, maybe. Ooh. Maybe he – I mean, it, you, you're not going to you're not gonna win with either of them, win anything right now, but Jared Goff's not going to develop. Maybe, unlikely, maybe Jacoby Brissett does. Goff did go to a Super Bowl. I know that that's not, not Goff fair got to say to that. Super Bowl. He did. I know he did. He, but he, he went through a couple playoffs as, as a starting yeah. quarterback of a team. Like, I, I think I would take Goff over Brissett. I'm, you know I'll, what? I'll put, it, I'll put it this way. Jared Goff made it to a Super Bowl, and you ha- you could do that, but you have no margin for error because every other aspect to your team has to be perfect. I would rather take a swing on a guy that can maybe elevate my team. Not yeah, saying that's I- Jacoby Brissett, but that's why you definitely go draft a guy. How far ahead of Jared Goff is Jimmy Garoppolo? I would say he's a decent amount. The thing about Jimmy G is if he hadn't – been injured as often as he is like if you could remove the injuries you probably think about jimmy g a lot differently like he's not a top tier quarterback or anything uh but honestly the reason the 49ers moved tried to move on from jimmy g is because he got injured so much yeah i think there's part of that there is the he has those games where he just plays so conservatively uh, and he just kind of it really kills the offense where he kind of did it this week to be honest but um, I, I, yeah, Garoppolo's, I've always kind of looked at Garoppolo and golf in my head as like a comp because they were kind of going at each other in that division for a while. And everyone kind of both looked at both of them as the quarterback that was being carried by a really good team. Um, and Garoppolo is better than golf, but I'm starting to think that if you put Jared golf on the 49ers, I don't know if it's any different to, to be quite honest. So, um, I, I'm going to put up a poll about golf and Garoppolo and then I'll do it about golf and Brissett. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see like what public opinion is on Jared golf right now. Cause it, it's just, I, I'm just fascinated by the situation. I think he's been really good in a couple of these games, but on the other side, and we, I will speed this up. We, we just spent way too long talking about the lions. Um, but uh, Josh Allen, I don't want to hear it folks. I did it last week. I get it. He makes some bonehead plays. He had some turnovers. He threw a pick, whatever. When it mattered, it mattered. When it mattered, he did it. Like I, I don't know what else to say. He went down the field in what twenty-eight seconds, and I, and like you said, when when the Lions, you know, when the Lions scored or kicked a field goal, I can't remember anymore if it was a touchdown or a field goal. It's been so long, and I was, you know, eating turkey. But I, I, uh, I never had a doubt that Josh Allen was going to go right down the field. Everyone in, in in the you know where I was watching Thanksgiving knew Josh Allen was going right down the field. And and that's exactly what he did. So um, I, I think all of the Josh Allen slander that I've seen on Twitter is, is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. The biggest thing for the Bills, I think, coming out of this game is the Von Miller injury. So he uh, has a lateral meniscus tear. It's going to be evaluated next week again. Uh, he's going to have to have surgery at some point. He could potentially play with a brace for the rest of the season, though. So... That would be a huge loss for the Bills if he's not able to play through that. And then on the flip side, just one crazy note for the for Detroit, and we'll move on. Uh, Jamal Williams had 13 career rushing touchdowns in five years before this season. He has 13 this season alone, which is one shy of the franchise single-season record set by Barry Sanders. So very forgettable first five years of his career. 
and now all of a sudden he might break he might break Sanders record which is just kind of crazy he was the guy who had the the awesome speech um, at hard knocks this year so that goes to show uh, I guess you know hard knocks speeches that that's that's how you should target people in fantasy if someone has a good hard knock speech you, you go and get them I, I think what he said was if you're gonna piss like a poop uh, if you're gonna piss like a puppy then get off the porch or something like that I, I know that that was going viral um, when he scored on Thursday people were people were tweeting that just that clip out or just that that part of the clip um, but yeah it, he's definitely been a pretty huge part of their offense and it's funny Detroit is one of the multiple teams that's supporting two like legitimate fantasy options at running back. Washington's kind of doing the same thing with Gibson and Robinson and Detroit has two legitimate running backs with Swift and also uh, with Williams. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the second Thanksgiving game. It's the giants at Dallas. Dallas wins 28 to 20 uh, Dak threw two first half interceptions and New York had a 13 to nine halftime lead, but the Cowboys exploded in the second half. They had three consecutive scoring drives and put the game away. Uh, Daniel Jones had just an awful, awful miss on a fourth and one to Saquon Barkley early in the third quarter. They're at their own 45, and it should have been a big gain. He threw it behind him, and Barkley couldn't couldn't bring it in. So uh, that was a bad Daniel Jones moment. Saquon, as good as he was early in the year, he got nothing going on the ground for the second straight week. He only rushed for 39 yards. And a part of that is because the Dallas defense is so good. And, and nobody's better on that defense than Micah Parsons, who had two sacks, which bumps him to 12 for the season. He's only the third player in NFL history to have 12-plus sacks in each of their first two years uh, alongside Alden Smith and Reggie White. Wow. Alden Smith being on that list is very funny. Yeah, um, he, yeah he was very, very good, though. It's, it's just funny to hear him with those two names. Yeah, Parsons is unbelievable. I don't have a lot to say on this game because I think it's. I think you kind of touched on everything that needed to be touched on there. Um, uh, Daniel Jones with such a bad miss there to Saquon. Like that play should play in Brian Dable and Joe Shane's minds for the next, you know, however many weeks until the draft, until it, or until whatever the time comes that the Giants have to make that decision. Um, on quarterback this offseason, they, they should just remember that throw and remember that that game was there for them if they wanted it. Um, and, and then for Dallas, I, I mean, they are really scary. They are really, really scary, especially if they get the guy who caused the scene on an airplane in Miami and Odell Beckham. Uh, if you plug him in and you have him and Gallup as two options as your you know secondary receivers to CeeDee Lamb, you've got you're in a situation where you have – Tony Pollard, who's really emerged as an insane – I mean, he was already really efficient for touch last year, um, but he's been just as good this year on more volume. And then you have Zeke, who – everyone's written the obituary on Zeke for a long time, and I get it. He's definitely declined. He's not the same player he was, and Tony Pollard probably should be getting more work than Zeke. But you saw today – or today. You saw last Thursday um, that Zeke – um, he still has some in the tank, and he was really good in that game. Nope, I lost you for a second again. Um, but, yeah, like you were saying, if they were to get OBJ, and even if they don't, they're such a good offense, as long as Dak's not throwing interceptions. 
And if they do get OBJ, which I do think it's funny, by the way, that they basically just gave away uh, Amari Cooper and now they're trying to go sign OBJ. But that's beside the point. Like, their defense is so good. Their offense is starting to click on all cylinders as that as Dak gets back. They're a very scary team in the NFC. They are the scary team in the NFC as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's one other that's right there with them, but – uh, yeah, I think Dallas has so many weapons. I didn't even mention Dalton Schultz uh, at tight end, who is probably playing like a top five tight end um, when he's been active in games this year. And their O-line seems like they're kind of back to the where they were a couple of years ago a little bit, where they were so elite for so long on the O-line uh, with Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. It seems like they've kind of finally filled the roles around that uh, in. So uh, it seems like they are just, you know, pretty elite almost everywhere uh, across the board. Yeah. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, last Thanksgiving game, New England travels to Minnesota. They lose 33-26. to 26. Uh, Bill Belichick has been so good at taking away an opposing offense's best option for so long. Not so on Thursday when Justin Jefferson had nine catches for 139 yards and one touchdown. That. The Patriots had the number one DVOA passing defense, and Jefferson just dominated them. Uh, he passed Randy Moss in this game for the most yards in a player's first three season, and he still has six games to go. So he might he might put that record totally out of reach uh, for anybody moving forward. Uh, meanwhile, Mac Jones threw for a career-high 382 yards and two touchdowns, but New England was 0 of 3 in the red zone. They had no running game. And although last week special teams bailed him out with a punt return t- touchdown, this week they gave up a 97-yard kickoff ret- return touchdown, and they had a running into the punter call go against them. So not the best day for New England. Honestly, not the best day for Minnesota either, but they escape with the win to stay uh, only a game back in the NFC. I will say that the Patriots got screwed here a, a little bit. The Hunter Henry... Uh, the, the, that was a touchdown. I, I don't care what anyone tells me. Uh, that's as much of a touchdown as the Zach Ertz play was in the Super Bowl. Um, it, it absolutely should have been a touchdown. It's a travesty that they took that off the board. Um, and, and I'll also just say, Mac Jones played the best game of his career in, in mm-hmm. this game. I, I honestly believe that. Um, I, I'm, I'm pulling up the stats as I'm talking right now. But, yeah, 28 for 39, 382 yards, two touchdowns, 9.8 yards per attempt. And honestly, it should have been three touchdowns, like I just said, with the Hunter Henry thing there. Uh, Mac Jones was, you know, a different player than I've ever seen him be in this game. He's taking shots down the field. He's taking chances. He's thrown to the sideline. He's thrown in the middle of the field. He did not seem as one note as he has in the past. Um, I, this was a game that kind of kind of gives me some hope for Mac Jones going forward that he can at least get back to, to being a steady hand. Yeah, it was a good Mac Jones game, and it just it just wasn't enough. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that kind of feels like it's been the thing for the Patriots this year. Is It's just not a good enough team. It's not a good enough roster. And to be honest, this might be controversial, they just haven't been well enough coached this year. The decisions that they made in the offseason in terms of offensive play callers and things like that has really drugged this team down in, in Mac Jones' second year. Are you telling me that Joe Judge is not the guy you want running your offense? I don't want Joe Judge running any aspect of my football team. I don't want Joe Judge managing a target, 
or, or a Subway or, or a McDonald's. Uh, Joe Judge should not be trusted in any position of authority. I mean, that, that guy is an absolute buffoon. And that's before we get to rocket scientist Matt Patricia, who's literally a rocket scientist. I don't know if you know that. Uh, before he was a football coach, he was a literal rocket scientist. He figured out rocket science and certainly hasn't figured out the offensive side of the football. <laughs> oh, but I will say his play calls have resulted in a lot of points scored for offenses. It was just <laughs> when he was the defensive play caller for the Lions. But That's a good one. <laughs> All right, let's roll on into the Sunday games. Denver at Carolina. Carolina wins 23-10. to 10. Uh, Sam Darnold became the fourth quarterback to play for the Panthers this season and the third one to get a win. He's already been named the starter next week, and you know it's a bad season when you have to name a starter every week in your press conference. Um, Russell Wilson notched his 300th career touchdown in this game. He's been one touchdown away for like three weeks, but he finally got there. Uh, and then it's just all bad for the Broncos. Defensive tackle Mike Purcell made a beeline for Russell Wilson at the end of the game on the sideline to let his frustrations be made known. Uh, Nate Hackett was standing right there. He didn't say anything. And, and then after the game, <laughs> Wilson said, there's no animosity there at all. Like, right. Like the defense has had enough of their elite play being wasted by Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. But honestly, we don't really need to talk about this game much. It's two meaningless teams, but that's all I got. Yeah, Nathaniel Hackett standing there like he didn't hear what was going on it was so funny. It was just like the ultimate lack of leadership moment there for, from Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and, and then Russ having the most predictable response to that ever in the media. That, oh, we're on the same page. I loved it. I loved that he got fired up. And it's like, dude, everyone hates you. Figure it out. Like, just realize and, and show a little bit of awareness that everyone hates you. Your, your teammates hate you. Your coaches hate you. The fans hate you. It seems like the entire NFL watching culture has turned their back on Russell Wilson. And it's so funny to see. And I remember we, we, we talked about this in the offseason. I predicted this pretty much exactly that the entire NFL media and NFL watching you know fan base would, would pretty much turn on Russell Wilson because he didn't have that home base of fans that would defend him no matter what, like Seattle was always going to do for the quarterback that won them their only Super Bowl. Uh, but he certainly does not have that backing anymore. Yeah. Okay, uh, Tampa Bay at Cleveland. This one went to overtime with Cleveland winning 23-17. to uh, David Njoku made a one-handed catch in the end zone on a fourth down to tie it at 17 with under a minute left. The clock management in this game from Todd Bowles was atrocious. Like, they didn't call a timeout with the Browns in the red zone. They let them run the clock down to almost nothing before tying the game, including on the fourth down. Like, why not call a timeout on the fourth down just in case they convert? But Brady gets the ball with 32 seconds and all three timeouts. They run a screen that goes six yards, which is a stupid play call to begin with. They don't call a timeout. And then he hits Julio Jones across midfield, and they take a timeout with eight seconds. Imagine if you played any part of that differently. Imagine if you had an extra 20 seconds because you called timeout when it was fourth down for, or for Cleveland. 
The clock ran from 26 seconds after the screen to 15 seconds before the snap. Imagine if you had those 11 seconds. It could be 19 seconds left. Like, do you think Brady could get 10 yards with 19 seconds in a timeout? They end up, you know, obviously going to overtime. And Tampa Bay had to do a last-minute drive against the Rams, and they did it because they needed to to win. But here, they could play for overtime, and so they did. After the game, Todd Bowles said that not using timeouts on the game-winning drive because you could throw an interception. Like, Tom Brady has thrown two interceptions on 470 passes this year. You're literally <laughs> worried about a 0.4% chance, and you took the ball out of his hands. And then the worst part, uh, on top of all that, is Tristan Wirfs injures his ankle in overtime. And, and yeah, injuries happen. You, you shouldn't have been in overtime. And, and Wirfs is out three to four weeks now. So just a total embarrassment uh, for Tampa Bay. And, and then I mentioned this earlier, but Amari Cooper for the Browns has 57 receptions for 792 yards and seven touchdowns this season in the eighth most run-heavy offense in the NFL, playing with a backup quarterback. And Dallas traded him for a fifth-round pick to save $5 million so they could turn around and try to sign OBJ, which is just some impressive total circular circular processing here. How bad does it have to get with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich that Tom Brady sends the late-night you-up text to Bruce Arians? Because, <laughs> man, it, it is not looking like Tom's I- greatest – I'm not even letting Bruce Tom off out. the hook. Tom Brady's 45 years old. He's on the field. How is he not calling the timeout in that situation? Like That's fair. Todd Bowles should have called the timeout. Tom Brady also should have called the timeout. I just don't even understand the thought process there. Like people somebody I don't remember where somebody said this on Twitter, but you people talk about Andy Reid getting better at, at end of game clock management situations. I firmly believe Andy Reid is the same coach he's always been, but he has Patrick Mahomes now, and Patrick Mahomes is on the field, and in those situations, he takes over the game. How is Tom Brady not doing that here? I I could not agree with what you just said about Andy Reid any more than – that might be my favorite thing Shane's ever said on the podcast. I, I totally agree uh, with, with what he just said. Andy Reid gets given a ton of credit uh, that he has, you know, turned himself into some different guy, and it's like, no, he just – as the most talented player to ever play the position uh, or the sport in general. Um, so it makes things, makes things a little easier for him. Um, but yeah, I, I this is, uh, you, you put it perfectly there. Um, I, I Tampa, just when you think they were going to get going, this loss really kind of, you know, throws them for a loop. You know, it doesn't really affect their season. They're going to win the, they're going to win the division and get to the playoffs and post a home playoff game, regardless of the outcome of this game. But it felt like they could have really got rolling, and it felt like, and we and we've seen the Bucks get rolling when they won the Super Bowl. They were five and four, and then they ended up winning a ton of games straight and getting hot for the playoffs. So, I, I think that this is the type of game that makes you like you you stick this one away and say, don't forget this when the Bucks win three straight and everyone's saying that they've turned it around and everyone's saying that they're back on track. Don't forget that they can do this because this was a brutal game. Uh, brutal decisions from Tom Brady, brutal decisions from Todd Bowles. Defense played great. Um, I had Bucks minus three in this game, and, and man, it's a tough L. Uh, had a lot of had a lot of those this week. Lost on pretty much every close game. So uh, having having Bucks minus three special special place of hate in my heart right now for Todd Bowles. Yeah. 
All right, rolling on uh, Baltimore at Jacksonville. Jacksonville wins 28 to 27. There were 33 points scored in the fourth quarter of this game. It was a very entertaining ending to the game. Uh, the Jags score three times in the final six minutes, including a game-winning 75-yard touchdown drive that required converting a third and 21 and then subsequently scoring a touchdown, electing to go for two to win the game. Um, Jermichael Hasty filled in for Travis Etienne, who injured his foot in the first quarter. He didn't have the greatest day on the ground, 12 carries for 28 yards, but he did add 67 receiving yards. But I want to talk about Baltimore. Baltimore has lost four games this year. Here's, the, here's their win probabilities from various points of those four games. At 7 minutes 58 seconds left in the Miami game, they had a 98% chance win probability, and they gave up 28 Ooh. unanswered points. Against Buffalo, with 6.5 minutes left, they had a 73% win probability. Against the Giants, at 3 minutes left, they had an 84% win probability. And against the Jags, before the 3rd and 21, they had a 95% win probability. The Jags are now 1-183 and when trailing by 7-plus points in the final minute of a game. Literally the first time they've ever won. Like, the chances... Mathematically speaking, of the Ravens losing all th all four of those games is point zero zero five percent one in twenty thousand. The chances of them even losing one is only forty five percent. It's a coin toss. They've managed to lose four of those games this year. Just incredible. That it it when we can't talk about the Falcons in twenty eight to three anymore. We're just going to start calling it Ravening now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's. It comes through that this is a team not very good as an MVP-level performer at quarterback. I, I say it every week, but my opinion on Baltimore is not going to change because it is what it is. They have a, a quarterback that's propping them up to be better than they actually are, and sometimes that catches up with them, and sometimes that bites them on the butt, and that's what, that's what you see when they give up these huge leads, and the Miami one and this one feel the most egregious. Uh, of the four, but man, this is a tough L for Baltimore, especially you could have had a two game lead or, uh, or basically a two game lead with the fact that you'd be up one and you've beaten Cincinnati. Now you're in a situation, you've got the same record as Cincy and you still have to go there. Uh, the, man, Cincy could win this division. They have a really, really tough schedule down the stretch, uh, but if they beat Baltimore and if Baltimore continues blowing leads, Baltimore is blowing the division uh, as we speak. Uh, what I will say was this was the best quarterback game on Sunday uh, on both sides. Uh, Lamar, the stat sheet is not going to tell you how good he was in, in this game, in my opinion. Like, you, you can glean it a little bit from it. Uh, but 16 for 32 for 50%, I've seen people kind of reference that. That's fine and all. You can, you can be a completion percentage guy out there if you want. He had 254 yards. I, I mean, he was eight yards per attempt. He had a touchdown. He rushed for 90 yards. He had huge third down conversions with his arms, uh, with his legs. Uh, he was, I, I just think Lamar kept them in this game, got them up in this game. And then it's a shame he wasn't able to make the plays to put it away. Uh, but, but he was excellent. But Lamar is not the story of this game. Trevor Lawrence is the story of this game. Trevor Lawrence played his best game as an NFL pro. Um, I don't know if that's the best statistical game he's had as a pro. I'm sure it's up there. Uh, looking at it right now, he's super efficient, 29 for 37, 321, nine yards per attempt, basically three touchdowns. 
I, Trevor Lawrence was awesome, and that drive at the end was masterful. That was the kind of stuff that we expected to see right away uh, coming out of Clemson. And, you know, it's making us feel, making me at least, feel a little less dumb because for a while there, I, I just – I mean, I thought Trevor Lawrence was like the greatest prospect I've ever seen at the quarterback position. And for a while there, there were certain times where even I, and I, I think he's been unfairly labeled and kind of unfairly written off at times in his, in his pro career. Even I had times where I'm like, man, this just doesn't seem like the same guy. And it doesn't see, doesn't seem as clean and as poised and as comfortable in this game. It was all those things. And he made plays off schedule. He made plays in the pocket. Uh, he was absolutely awesome. And I'm not sure if you saw the quote uh, from the safety wind guard, um, but he kind of just went on and on and, and, and kind of talked about how unfair last year's situation was to Trevor and just how happy he was for Trevor and how when you have Urban Meyer, I'm not sure you even have a rookie year was what he said about Trevor. And he played for Urban. So he was there last year and watched it happen. And they asked him kind of what Doug has done to empower uh, Trevor to kind of take this leap. And he's like, I mean, Doug's just a genius. Doug's the man. I would go to war for Doug. Like, I, and, and all this stuff. And it's just awesome to see. Uh, even if it hasn't resulted in success there for Jacksonville, uh, it, it was awesome to see a win like this and where they're able to come from behind. And it's a shame. They've had some close losses. If they were five and six instead of four and seven, Maybe you can make some noise and get hot, but man, it, it seems like this is probably going to be the highlight of their season. Yeah, the, I think this will be remembered as the game that Trevor Lawrence announced himself. Like, I hope so. It's it's coming. The Jags are going to be good. They're going to be good with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, and it's it might be another year or two, but they're going to get there. And good on Doug Peterson uh, for you know for having the, the what, I forget what they called him now. What was it? I, I Something with big balls, but uh, he, he had the balls to do it at the end and to go for two. It's the right call in a situation like that. They clearly had the defense reeling. Um, I think in that situation, it's funny. We're going to talk about the Chargers one where when I was watching that live, I was not as sure of that decision. But when I was watching the Jacksonville game live, that was the only decision. He had to go for two there. They clearly had the defense on their heels. That that was a great call, and that was something that the safety also commented. He said, "You know, Doug needs wheelbarrows for the nuts he's got." Um, and ironically, <laughs> in 2016, Doug also did that exact same thing in Philadelphia against the Ravens, and it didn't work oh, yeah. out. But it yeah. worked out this time. So, I love it. I love it. All right, let's keep rolling. Uh, Houston at Miami, I'm going to next this game. Miami wins 30-15. They pulled their starters in the third quarter. Only significant thing for me is Taron Armstead left the game with a strained pectoral, and he'll miss some time. So Tua took four sacks and nine plays at one point without Armstead, so that's something worth watching. I got nothing else of relevance for this game. Do you? Uh, I, I like that we're going to start. Let's do this every week. Let's pick a next game where, where we don't say anything about it. Um, but I will say, when Skylar Thompson came in, man, it's not just tar- it's not just Teron Arbstead. That drop off from Tua to, to Thompson or Tua to Teddy, even, oh, man, it's stark. But next, all right, Chicago at the Jets. I'm gonna mostly next this one too. Chicago playing a backup quarterback. The mm-hmm. Jets playing a backup that should have been their starter all year. They went 31 to 10. 
Uh, I will say Mike White, 22 of 28 for 315 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, one sack, became the only Jets QB to have multiple 300-plus yard, three-plus touchdown games in the last 30 seasons. Hey, he did it in week eight last year. So this is his second career three-touchdown game and four starts. How many of those do you think Zach Wilson has in 20 starts? Zero. Zero. That's all I got on this one, too. I have I have something on this one. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it because I've been thinking it. Now, I'm not saying that the Jets to win the Super Bowl. But I'm not not saying <laughs> that the Jets to win the Super Bowl. That's how good I feel about this defense. I think this defense is special. I think Sauce Gardner is the best cornerback in football. He actually got beat on one play in this game. And you could tell how pissed he was. Like, he got up and he looked furious with himself. And then next play, he, he had a pass broke up. And then later on, he had a pass broke up in the end zone. Sauce Gardner's the truth. I mean, that guy is just, he's so good. And the Jets are so good up front. They get so much pressure that if Mike White can just play like 60% as good as he played in this game consistently, the Jets might win some playoff games. And I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender. But when you have that defense... And if Mike White's just average, they might be able to win some playoff games. I just thought of this, and I don't know why, but I got to circle back to the Ravens game real quick. When Justin Tucker kicked that sixty, attempted that sixty-seven uh, yard field goal, and it was dead on line. Like, did you not think that was in? Oh, everyone in the country thought it was in. Justin Tucker thought it was in. He did a little skip. He he thought he hit it. I it's, could not believe – I thought it hit the crossbar at first because I couldn't believe yeah. it. It's a testament to how incredible of a kicker he is that he literally attempted the longest field goal in NFL history and everyone was shocked when he didn't make it. It's uh, Nothing could be more of a testament to anyone. I mean, put him in the Hall of Fame while he's still playing, Justin Tucker. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Cincinnati at Tennessee. Cincinnati wins 20-16. to 16. Uh, Tennessee brought the best red zone offense in the NFL into the game, and Cincinnati held them to three field goals on three red zone attempts. Uh, Cincinnati down Joe Mixon, down Jamar Chase, but they still put up 20 on Tennessee, who's got a really good defense, and they just stifled Derrick Henry, held him to 2.2 yards per carry, forced the Titans to throw the ball 34 times. Uh, Small mistakes cost Tennessee. They missed a field goal in the first half, uh, they contacted a long snapper on a late field goal that let Cincinnati run out the clock. And so, you know, they'll wish they had this one back. Uh, meanwhile, T. Higgins, he has seven receptions for 114 yards and a touchdown. Like some people thought he would struggle with Jamar Chase out. He's shown that he's a capable wide receiver one, and he's still got one year left on his rookie deal. So uh, the Bengals are looking awfully good right now. Yeah, I mean, man. The Bengals. I'm here's what I'll say about the Bengals. I do not think we'll lose in the playoffs to anyone but the Kansas City Chiefs. Like I, I'm at the point where if it was Bills Bengals um, in the playoffs, I'd feel pretty good about the Bengals. This was a game that they won without Joe Mixon, without Jamar Chase. I think that says a lot about the fact that this team was able to go into Tennessee and beat a good Titans team. That it, I mean, what are they seven and four? I, I mean, the Titans have a, a very good record. 
and have been incredibly consistently successful for, for three or four years now um, under Vrabel. And by winning games like this, winning 20 to 16 games at home against good teams, how many times have we seen the Titans win the exact game that they just lost? And the Bengals turned it on their head without their best running back, without their best wide receiver, because their quarterback is the third best quarterback in football. Uh, Joe Burrow, I mean, Zach Taylor said it after the game. And I, by the way, I still don't think Zach Taylor is very smart. Uh, but Zach Taylor said, uh, you know, we wouldn't trade Joe Burrow for, for any player in the NFL. And of course you say that, but outside of Patrick Mahomes, he's probably right. Like maybe Josh Allen's a little better. Like maybe you give him a nod. I probably still would. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a Bengals fan, if you're Zach Taylor, if you're the Bengals front office, you probably do feel that way. You probably do feel like Joe Burrow rode in on a, on like his, his white horse and saved your franchise. Like it, it really is a testament to, I mean, how many quarterbacks have we seen over the last decade or longer come in as not just a top five pick, but as a number one pick uh, and kind of take a while to get going or fail. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, it's been two years now. We're still waiting. And obviously he had that moment. It's been a terrible situation around him. And he had that moment and we're hoping now he can get going. And Joe Burrow took the year. We're, we're in the third year. He went to the Super Bowl last year, and it looks like he's well on his way to potentially going on another playoff run this year. I mean, Joe Burrow has completely changed the fortunes of that franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll see what they can do in terms of a playoff run this year. They looked out of it early in the year, but they've come on strong. And uh, they're still you know neck and neck with Baltimore, but I think they're going to beat out Baltimore. By, by the way, though, take a look at the Bengals' remaining schedule. It's one of the most brutal end-of-year gauntlets I've ever seen the NFL put a team on. And we're going to find out a lot about the Bengals. So uh, I just got it. It's Chiefs at home. Cleveland at home with Deshaun Watson. Tampa on the road. England on the road. Buffalo at home. Baltimore at home. Yeah, it's, it's a brutal schedule. And that's actually one of the things I talked about in the offseason when I said I didn't think they would make the playoffs because they were going to have to start so strong with that schedule down the stretch. But here they are. They didn't start strong, but they're coming on strong at the right time. And so we'll see how it plays out uh, over the next few weeks. Wow. And then uh, just real quick, I, because we already talked about the Ravens, the Ravens have the exact opposite schedule. <laughs> like, they have the Denver Broncos this week. They have two Steelers games remaining. They they do play the Browns and a Sean Watson, but they play Atlanta at home, and then they obviously have that Bengals game at the end of the year. I just hope that Week 18, Baltimore at Cincy, is for the division. That would be awesome. That would be. All right. Uh, the Falcons travel to Washington and lose 19-13. to uh, This is the first time Washington has been two games over five hundred since before Alex Smith injured his leg, which is just kind of crazy. Um, I actually thought you were going to say, like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, 1995. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, they were okay with Alex Smith. Um, yeah, yeah. Brian Robinson Jr. set a career high for rushing yards with 105 on 18 carries. Washington rushed for 176 yards total. Uh, Atlanta has had ample opportunities to claim the NFC South, and they just haven't done it. Uh, they're a half a game behind the Bucks. They're one game ahead of the Panthers and Saints. And when you look at strength of schedule remaining, 
at New Orleans is at 19th, Tampa at 25th, Atlanta 29th, Carolina 30th. So just all kind of a log jam. Uh, I, I still kind of think Tampa's going to get it, but Atlanta has certainly had their opportunities that they have missed. Atlanta stunk in this game. I mean, they ran the ball. They did nothing else. They, they, didn't, they didn't defend the run well at all. Um, they, you know, Mariota, he ran the ball well, but he was just on factor. Uh, he just – he did not do anything to help them win this game. And, in fact, he threw the pick at the end that, you know, you, you score a touchdown, you could win the game still. I don't really look at this as Washington impressing me and winning the game. I look at it as much more of Atlanta showing me a little bit more of who they are. Uh, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Maybe losing Pitts hurts them. Maybe uh, even though he didn't have a ton of production, maybe it did have the uh, help the offense a ton just by being out there and, and devoting so much attention from the defense away from other guys. But, man, this was an abysmal offensive performance from Atlanta, especially in a game that they rushed for an insane amount of yards. I mean, they, they rushed – for 167 yards, they rushed for 5.8 yards per carry. They scored 13 points and looked listless on offense. That just goes to show how bad their passing attack is right now. Yeah. Okay, let's keep it moving. We got five games left. The Chargers at the Cardinals. Uh, Justin Herbert ended this game 35 of 47 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, the Cardinals' offense looked good early in the game with Kyler Murray returning from his war zone sabbatical to play football again. Uh, obviously, he was coming off of a hamstring injury, but it, it, it stalled out in the fourth quarter. They got the ball three times in the fourth quarter after taking the lead, and they went three and out all three times. Uh, the Chargers scored to tie the game with like 15 seconds left, and they chose to go for two in the win. It worked. It was absolutely the right call because if there is anyone who can be confident that their their two-point conversion play will get them the two yards necessary. It's Joe Lombardi. His offense has been training for that for years. Every play in his playbook is designed to get exactly two yards. <laughs> and so good job by Brandon Staley having faith in the one thing his offensive coordinator knows how to do. It's get very minuscule gains. Yeah, I, I mean, I – have a little bit of a segment to do here for, for Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Staley is doing a fantastic job this season. They're six and five. I think if that, on the surface, if you showed me this roster at the beginning of the year and told me you're going to go six and five, I'd say fire Brandon Staley. But context matters, and they've been a hospital squad. They, they have had none of their guys. At no point in the season have they had the roster they expected to have um, coming into the season, even to start the year, because J.C. Jackson missed a ton of time to start the year before he got hurt later on in the year. So, uh, and Keenan Allen never got, you know, started the year. So the Chargers have never been the team that they expected to be coming into the year. But Justin Herbert, it, you know, partially is 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 kind of getting them to this level. They did not run the ball well at all in this game. It was all on Justin Herbert to play offense in this game. But the defense tightened up. In the second half, they, they only give up a touchdown. And, they, and 17 in the first half, 7 in the second half. If the Chargers' defense can give up 24 points per game, you're probably going to win more games than you lose with Justin Herbert at the helm, especially when you have Williams and Allen back. So um, that should be Brandon Staley's focus, keeping teams to about 23 or less points and letting your quarterback, Justin Herbert, go and do his business. And Staley said after the game, 
you know, it's come, it's taken a long time for me to accept the fact and come to the terms with the fact that this is an offensive football team. We are led by a superstar in Justin Herbert. This is not a defensive football team. This is an offensive football team. Um, I thought it was interesting to hear him say that, uh, that, that a head coach would even classify his team as one of the two, probably a concern more than anything, but I did think it was interesting. And I thought that it showed just a ton of faith and confidence in Justin Herbert. Yeah. And it's, it's well-deserved. And, you know, to his point, you should not want your team to be classified as a defensive team in, in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. If you're a defense, the only teams we talk about being defensive teams are the teams that don't have a quarterback. Like we talk about how good the Titans defense is. We talk about how good the 49ers defense is, how good the Jets defense is. Like the Eagles defense is whoa, really whoa, good. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Jets have a little guy named Mike White. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's be careful. Let's say the, the Eagles defense is also very good and nobody talks about the defense being good because they've got a quarterback and an offense that's good. Actually, what they talk about is how the defensive coordinator needs to be fired <laughs> despite being best in EPA per play, being best in dropback EPA per play, like being a top five DVOA defense. People think that guy needs fired because they have an offense to go with it. And so you don't want your team classified as a defensive football team. That just means your offense stinks. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I like that, uh, you know, the Eagles can classify their team as just a football team because they, yeah. they play both sides of the ball like you're supposed to. So uh, it's probably a negative to classify your team as either, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I do think that that shows a lot of humility uh, as a defensive guy and Brandon Staley to come out and admit that, so. Um, having said all that, I thought the defense played great in the second half, and I thought that that was a, a huge part of the reason they won. Yeah. All right, let's roll on to the Raiders. Travel to Seattle. They get the win in overtime, 40-34. to uh, Josh Jacobs had 229 yards and two touchdowns on 33 carries in this game, including a walk-off 86-yard touchdown run in overtime. Uh, he also added six, carry, or six catches excuse me, for 74 yards, the only player with 225 or more rushing yards and 70 plus receiving yards in a game in NFL history. Uh, Seattle, we thought their defense was looking a little better. They hadn't allowed more than 23 points uh, in a game since week six, but they allowed 576 yards to the Raiders, which is almost 175 yards more than the Raiders' second best outing this season. If you just look at the last three weeks, Seattle's defense is dead last in EPA per play allowed. Uh, And honestly, I think this defense is going to end up costing the Seahawks a shot to get to the playoffs. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And I will just say um, I am fully biased when talking about this game. I had uh, the Seahawks very hard in this game um, and had them to finish a big parlay. And uh, I can't tell you that I'm happy. Uh, with how this game played out. And I can't tell you that I'm happy with the fact that Josh Jacobs blatantly fumbled um, with two minutes left in the fourth quarter going to to tie the game. And officials said that they couldn't review it because they blew the play dead. It was like a normal tackle, not like a a pile him up and push him back and then the fumble happens. It was a totally normal tackle and a totally nonsense garbage reason 
from the officials that they couldn't review it. Uh, errant, whistle, errant whistles should not stop uh, the NFL from reviewing important plays that literally change the outcome of a game. Seattle wins that game if that's a rule to fumble and there's no overtime. But because that happened so much before the conclusion of the game happened and because Seattle got a chance in overtime, no one's going to cry for them. No one's going to feel bad for them. No one's going to even bring it up because the Raiders score a touchdown after that. And then in overtime, they both trade the ball a couple times before the Raiders go and score. But Seattle won this game in regulation and just got screwed out of it. Um, but again, like I said, that's I'm talking from a, from a gambling biased standpoint. <laughs> got a comment coming in here on YouTube. Another team, uh, the Broncos. We talk about how good the Broncos defense is because their yeah, offense is atrocious as well. So another example. I, real real quick before I – we will definitely get to the Geno Smith thing. Um, real quick, I'll just say something because I've seen a lot of that. I, I've seen a lot of people talking about how great the Broncos defense is and how uh, points per game is really low and how they don't give up points. And if the Broncos the offense would have scored 17 points in every game, they'd be like 10-1 and one or whatever the stat is. That's also how football works when teams aren't pushed. Like, when Russell Wilson and the, and the Broncos aren't scoring any points, it's forcing the other team, usually if they're up 10 to nothing, to kind of play conservatively and run the football and not play as up-tempo and as fast-paced as they would if they had an offense on the other side of the ball that they were at all afraid of. So it all, some of that does go back to game scripts, but the Broncos' defense, I'm not trying to say that they're not good. They're, they're very good. Um, I, I would just – they're probably not a top three defense, even if that's where the stats say they are. Yeah. All right, so give the people what they want, Mark. Geno Smith, is he a franchise quarterback? I think it's the most interesting. Do you pay the quarterback case that I've ever heard in my life? I, I've. It is a fascinating test case of, of kind of how to deal with that middle level of quarterback. And, you know, we're going to get to see what Seattle does. Uh, there was the report last week that they had started negotiating or, or at least had uh, begun talking about a contract. So I guess they're saying, if that's the case, that he is. And he was fantastic in this game. I mean, he was awesome in this game, like he's been in most games this season. Uh, what do you offer Geno Smith as a contract? I, I Do you go, hey, Geno, we'll give you five years or four years, but we're not going to give you starting QB money. Like we'll give you 15 million per or 20 million per, or do you say like, yeah, we'll franchise tag you or it's like a two year, $60 million deal. Like I just have no idea what to expect from this Geno Smith contract at all. Yeah, uh, man, it's a tough one. Like Geno Smith is 32 years old. He's never played at this level before, right, ever. Uh, he's – in any way you want to measure it, he's been like a top-10 quarterback this year, mm-hmm. though. And it's not gimmicky. Like, he's running the offense. He, he's making all the throws. He scrambles when he needs to. He's hits intermediate. He hits outside the numbers. Like, if he was 22 and a rookie, we would be talking about him as an elite quarterback – for the next decade but he's 32 and he hasn't done this o- over the course of his career so I think I think you pay him 
And, and maybe you can come to the table with something like you said. I, I would be hesitant. I'm not giving him top top eight or ten QB money based on one season. We've seen too many teams get burned with these contracts. Maybe if it's a short term, a two or three year deal, maybe you could do that. Um, I'm intrigued by what you said. So so Gino's been in the league ten years. His total career earnings is just under fourteen million dollars because he's never been you know he's never been the guy. So if you offer him a four year deal worth twenty twenty five million per year, like that's more per year than he's made in his ten year career. Like is he going to take that? I don't know. Maybe he does, um, or maybe he's looking to cash in one time. I, I would not feel comfortable paying him, you know, in that $40 million range that the top quarterbacks command, but I would definitely want to keep him on this roster. So I would probably offer him in the, in that four or five year, four or five year, 25, $30 million range. Or if he wants more, maybe we offer him a two year deal. That's worth a lot more. So we're not tied to it long-term. If it doesn't pan out, you could always franchise tag him a year. Um, they're also sitting there with the number four overall pick. And so if they're not sold on Geno, you can go get a quarterback. But you could also trade that pick for a King's Ransom probably in a quarterback-heavy draft. So a lot of options here for Seattle. I think the main thing is that they don't get tied into like a four- or five-plus-year market-level deal. I don't think you want to do that. No, I totally agree. And I think that there's – probably two outcomes i guess there's three outcomes here one is the franchise tag which is probably what i'd opt to do um if i was seattle i would probably say like that was amazing we need to keep him there's no way we can let him go but let's see it one more time like let's make sure this isn't a total mirage and then at that point he's 33 and then even if he plays well maybe at that point you can kind of just say like all right that was two years like we're gonna go get another quarterback uh, but you probably have to keep him around uh, for next year at least. So um, it's definitely an interesting situation. So there's the franchise tag. There's offering two years big money, like $30, $35 million a year. Maybe you give him two years, 60 whatever the case may be. Or, you you know, you Gino takes a hometown discount for more long-term stability. There's there's probably those three outcomes for, for Seattle. But I'll tell you what I don't think is happening. I don't think there's any scenario he's not Seattle's quarterback next year. Yeah, I, I think he is going to be the guy for them as well. Uh, but I am fascinated to see what the deal ends up looking like. Yeah, and it's not he would not get close to whatever he's going to get from Seattle on the open market, I don't think. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to the Rams at the Chiefs. The Chiefs win 26-10. to 10. Uh, they struggled to put the ball in the red zone. They kicked four field goals in the red zone. They had an interception. Uh, but they were playing Bryce Perkins, who they intercepted two times in the fourth quarter to put the game away. Rookies played a big part in this game for Kansas City. Trent McDuffie had two pass breakups. George Karloftis had a sack. Sky Moore led the team with five receptions. Uh, he also muffed another punt. It's his third one of the year, so maybe find a new punt returner. Uh, and then yeah. Isaiah Pacheco had 22 carries for 69 yards. So not the best day for the Chiefs offense, but they got some contributions from some rookies. In other record-breaking news, both Kelsey brothers broke a record this year. Travis Kelsey now has the most receiving yards by any tight end in their first 11 years in NFL history. You know what the kicker to that stat is? What is it? He's only in his 10th year. Whew. 
You want to know the even bigger kicker? Hmm. He had zero receptions as a rookie. <laughs> so basically in nine years, he has more receiving yards than any other tight end ever has in 11 years. Really eight and a half years since this year is not over. Just an incredible run from Travis Kelsey. And obviously it doesn't hurt playing with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Travis Kelsey, I mean, he's going to end up being the tight, the best tight end of all time, at least statistically, and it won't even be necessarily all that close. Uh, but what I know this isn't a fantasy show, but when we talk about Travis Kelsey, it, it needs to be talked about. What Travis Kelsey, if we were redrafting fantasy players right now, Travis Kelsey should be the first overall pick because of the positional advantage he's giving you at a position that's not very that's not very good for fantasy right now. He's averaging 22 fantasy points per game as the number one ranked tight end. The number two ranked tight end is Mark Andrews, who's giving you 14 points per game in fantasy. Who that's I took eight at the point end of, difference. Who, who I took at the end of the first round in our fantasy draft. Well, I mean, with, with, with Travis Kelsey still on the board because I thought he's the only person Lamar has to throw the ball to, and that has not worked out well for me. Well, yeah, that that, just, that stinks to not to take him over Kelsey, but he's been tight end too. Andrews has been very good. It's yeah. not taking it's not taking away what Andrews is doing as tight end too, averaging fourteen point six eight per points per game. He's been very good. What Travis Kelsey's doing, averaging over twenty two points per game, is just unfathomable at the tight end position in fantasy. We've never seen anything like this, um, and he is just so much better. He's such an advantage. He's going to be the player they always do at the end of the year. Um, what player was on the most fantasy championship teams or fantasy playoff teams? Travis Kelsey's going to be that player. I, I can pretty confidently say that just because of the positional advantage it gives you in fantasy. But that's pretty much all I have to say about this game. Chiefs are good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Got a comment coming in on Facebook. What's up, Frank? Welcome to the show. We're wrapping up here, but you can go back and watch the archive later. We got two games left. We're on the Sunday Wait, time night out. game. Time out real quick. I forgot because you mentioned it, and then I got sidetracked to talk about Travis Kelsey. George Karloftis, this is only, it's only his first sack in that, that, that you mentioned with the sack, but he's got the second-best pressure rate among rookies uh, this year. So, And I've seen a lot of people saying, even if, even if it's not showing up on the stat sheet, uh, that he has been an absolute terror. So uh, I think George Karloftis is going to end up being a, a piece there for Kansas City for a long time. I, I'd be – remiss if I didn't brag about a guy that I absolutely love. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I, we were both on that Karloftis bandwagon in mm -hmm. the, in the draft. I'll, I'll have to, I'll look up where we had him ranked. Uh, I do have that spreadsheet still saved. I'll look it up here. Uh, I had him ranked stupid high, stupid high. Yeah. Let's see here. I, I'm just going to pull it up live on air. This might be bad podcasting. We, but now I want to know. I'll answer the one, the, the question we got from Frank while you're looking it up, but he, uh, he asked about something we touched on earlier. Do you think we're going to get Jenkins back? I don't think they're going to call him. I don't think they're going to bring him in, or else I think they probably already would. Uh, but me and Shane both said that we're firmly in the camp of, of wanting them to. All right, here it is. Uh, Mark and I both had Karloftis insanely high. I, Mark had him fifth on his big board, uh, edge three behind uh, KT and Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, I also had him as edge three. I had him as ninth. So we both had him as a top 10 player on our big war. That was so far ahead of consensus. Like TDN yeah. had him 27th. Uh, uh, yeah. 
it was so high, uh, so much over consensus, but we were both pretty big on George Karloftis, and I feel he, like he's had a really good rookie season. And he went at the end of the first round, so I mean, yeah, went thirtieth. Yeah, yeah. So he was way behind where we had him ranked. I had him as a top five guy in the yeah. whole draft, and he went thirtieth. Uh, I, I still think, uh, and he's shown it with the pressure rates, and he showed it with the sack. And if you haven't seen the sack, just type Karloftis in on Twitter, Shane. It is a violent sack of <laughs> Bryce Perkins. It, it looks like those Purdue sacks where Karloftis was just eating dudes. Um, so I, I think we'll see more of that going forward. Yeah. Okay, Sunday night football. The New Orleans Saints at the 49ers. The 49ers shut them out. They win 13-0. The 49ers defense is so good. They didn't allow more than one first down on any drive in the first half. Now, we already talked about what it means when you say a team's defense is so good, uh, but they held the Saints to 260 yards for the game. Alvin Kamara fumbled twice. Uh, the 49ers have not given up a second-half point in their last four games combined, which is just that's just an absurd stat. Uh, the Saints have not been shut out since Week 17 in 2001, 332 straight games. Uh you want to know who the opponent was that shut them out last? Who was it? The 49ers. <laughs> so the 49ers book in those streaks, shutting the Saints out. Week 17, 2001, they shut them out this week. Uh, and that's really all I've got on that one. The 49ers, their defense is good. Uh, they are also a little scary in the NFC playoffs. Yeah, they, they definitely are. I will say Elijah Mitchell went down for them. He's out for six to eight weeks, probably into the playoffs. That's the first that's the first chip away uh, at this perfect offense that they had built um you knew with the injury history of all of jimmy g elijah mitchell christian mccaffrey Debo samuel and george kittle that you probably weren't going to get all of them at the same time with brandon Ayuk for very long uh, and it was about a week uh, and now elijah mitchell's out and who knows how many of the other four that i mentioned will be out by the time mitchell gets back so that's the big caveat with San Fran. I think San Fran's incredibly scary, but I think they're also a, a couple injuries away from really, really, you know, not being on the same tier as Dallas and a Philadelphia, who are teams that I think can probably sustain multiple injuries uh, in, in terms of the Cowboys and the Eagles and the depth that they have. Uh, but D'Amico Ryans, uh, you mentioned the defense. You can pencil him in for a job this offseason. Yeah, absolutely, and Carolina should absolutely be on the phone with him. I, I heard they might be on the phone with Steve Wilkes. How about that? Yeah, I, maybe. We'll see. But D'Amico, he should be the first guy to get a job this offseason. Agreed. So, uh, Frank uh, is chiming in here on Facebook asking a few questions. Uh, what team do you think Odell's going to land with? We touched on that a little bit earlier with the Cowboys. Um and we have hit on a lot of these games and things. So if you do want to run this podcast back, uh, we go live every Tuesday night doing a full NFL review. We always start with the Eagles for about 20, 30 minutes, and then we run through the rest of the game. So uh, if you do want to get a handle on just the Eagles, you can just catch that first part. If you want a handle on the whole NFL, uh, certainly uh, check out the whole podcast. We'll get into draft stuff in the off season as well. So uh, glad you're here in the comments tonight and enjoying the show. Uh, let's roll on, though, to the Monday night football game. This was Pittsburgh at Indianapolis. Uh, Pittsburgh wins this game at 24-17 uh, in a game that 
Kenny Pickett looked pretty good. Uh, he 20 to 28, 174 yards, doesn't throw a touchdown, but also doesn't throw an interception. The, the George Pickens connection, the Pickett to Pickens connection is going to be a fun one to watch uh, over the years. But really the story of this game is just Jeff Saturday having no clue how to manage a clock at the end of the game. Again, we tie it back to the episode title. It's time for the nerds to run the NFL. Tampa, Indianapolis, they both had horrible clock management at the end of the games and potentially cost themselves games. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Saturday is not a football coach. I mean, he's not a football head coach. He's he That was idiotic, what he was doing with the timeouts in that situation. There's nothing that drives me more nuts than basic timeout usage problems uh, when you're an, an NFL head coach. Obviously, Jeff Saturday is a little different since he you know, decided to do this on a whim on a phone call with his drunk buddy, Jim Irsay. Um, but... You know, just watching these guys play a game of Madden. Just play one game, and you'll realize how to call timeouts, and you'll realize how to use timeouts. Where did Jeff Saturday think he was taking the timeouts with him at the end of the game? I, it's just – it was unbelievable to see. Didn't uh, you know you can cash those in for points at the end of the game? For the next game, actually. Yeah, if you yeah. – if you hold two or more timeouts, you actually start with a touchdown in the next game, I heard. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was absurd. I don't have anything to say on the Colts on this game outside of just this is what you get when, when you when you hire a, an ESPN analyst off the set um, to, to come coach your team. Um, but on the other side, I liked a lot of what I saw from the Steelers here. I think the Steelers are probably a team that would be 6-5 and five or 5-6 five and six if, if T.J. Watt was playing. This defense is different. When T.J. Watt's in, I think they were one. I think they're one ten and one in T.J. Watt's career in games he doesn't play, and well over like seventy percent win percentage in games he does. Um, and that that's definitely shown these last two weeks. He's he's been incredibly important. Um, I, I think he changes the scope of not just that defense but that team. But more importantly than anything for the Steelers, this season's over. Kenny Pickett looked good, um, and and they need Kenny Pickett to build on that, have good performances and make sure that you know he's the guy going into next year. And that's why they should have been playing him the entire season. Yeah, absolutely. So the only thing left for the Steelers is Mike Tomlin's non-losing record. They're 4-7 and right now. So he can have one more loss. Other than that, it's got to be wins. So here's the remaining schedule. They got Baltimore twice. That's going to be tough. They have Cleveland, who will have Deshaun Watson back. But then their other games are Carolina, the Raiders, mm. and the Falcons, all winnable. So it comes down to, in the the th- obviously you got to take care of business in the games that you should win. But out of Cleveland and Baltimore twice, they would have to win two of those games and take care of the rest of the schedule just to get to nine and eight. You think they can do it? It'll it'll be close. I, if I had to guess, I think they'll probably be eight and nine. That would probably be my guess. Um, but they can get to eight and one. If they tie a game, if you get to eight, that would one, be hilarious. I, <laughs> just to just to keep the the record alive, I, I do think Tomlin had some eight and eights sprinkled in there. I think that's why it's become uh, not a losing record instead of always a winning record. So there has been eight and eight before, um, but it would be hilarious if that was eight eight and one. <laughs> if he finds a way to go eight and eight in a seventeen game season, that's like the master stroke. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Mike Tomlin, uh, yeah. 
I I heard a little bit of rumblings about how Mike Tomlin should not return next year. I'm not really a Mike Tomlin guy. I, I do kind of think he's overrated, but I think that's ridiculous. Like I think him getting fired or judged in a season that they lost one of the three best defensive players in football, reigning defensive player of the year. Yeah, you lost the defensive player of the year. You also lost a bunch of other guys in your defense as well, and you have a rookie quarterback. Like this is supposed to be a year that the Steelers take a step back. I, I think Mike Tomlin should be there pretty much as long as he wants to be. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, that is going to about wrap it up here for our Week 12 review show. Mark, before we get out of here tonight, do you have any final thoughts for us? No, we I, actually, I do. I, you know, I, I lied. I'll, I'll use the comment that I saw in there that I didn't, uh, that I didn't reference. Frank, uh, he, he said, how about that throw to Deshaun Jackson uh, you know, that Lamar had? Wow. He's still got it, man. It was, it's just beautiful to see Deshaun run. Like it it is, it's insane that he is still just probably one of the, I don't know, like 15 fastest humans alive. Like it's, it's crazy. It's, it feels like it was 20 years ago now. I guess it was like probably like 14 years ago or 13 years ago that he was really in his peak here. Um, But it's crazy that after, you know, a year or two out of the league, basically, um, and a couple of years where he's barely played uh, due to injuries and other stuff. It's crazy to see him just pop right back in and catch a deep ball. Um, he is, you know, one of my favorite players of all time. So always cool to see Deshaun out there. All right. Yeah. Uh, for my final thought, I'm going to go to uh, it's time for the NFL to do something about teams faking injuries. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was abhorrent in the Packers game at least three times, just blatant fake injuries uh the most obvious one was the eagles uh get to a third and short and so they try to no huddle up to the line to qb sneak while the packers have nickel defense on the field and they have two guys in unison just fall down and grab their legs to stop the game so they can sub in all of their defensive tackles and you had uh, Jair Alexander goes down for one play, flips off the crowd on the way off the field, and then he comes back. Like, it's just ridiculous. And I'm not just going to throw a problem out there. I'll give you a solution to NFL because I'm all about solving your problems. Like, I've already solved the playing a division team twice in three weeks thing. We've already solved the schedule. Weeks one through three and weeks 16 through 18 are your division games. Easy. Done. We're going to solve this one, too. If a player goes down with an injury, then the team should have to hold him out for five plays. You miss five plays, and no one else on the defense can sub unless the offense subs. You can't have officials trying to legislate it with flags uh, in the heat of the moment. You honestly can't even really come back after the fact and like levy fines because, one, it doesn't really matter what's a $10,000 fine to these guys, but, two, who are you to say for sure, you know? Yeah that it's an injury. It was blatant with the Packers, but there's lots of non-blatant ways to do it. So that's as easy as it can get. Arbitrary. It helps player safety. We're not getting a guy off and trying to rush him back out. You're on the bench for five plays. Gives the team time to evaluate you. Nobody else can sub. It removes any advantage the defense gains from an injured player. I think that's the way to go. So that's your solution, NFL, to players faking injuries. By the way, the Eagles should start faking more injuries on defense. <laughs> if the if the rules aren't going to be there, you should probably 
pretty smart, to, to be quite honest. Didn't really work for Green Bay's defense here, um, but it, it is definitely a smart strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's smart. I hate it, but it's smart. Espe- especially with the way that the Eagles rotate guys, especially on the defensive line. You have a defensive lineman go down. They should be practicing that. That should be something uh, something in the, in the in the feather of the cap. It would have been hilarious if, like, after that, the Eagles just started, like, faking a defensive injury after every play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're trading guys out anyways. Let's just make this game take forever. By the way, Sirianni was asked about that in in the post game, and you could tell so badly he wanted to to light into it and he wanted to make a joke, and he started cracking up, and he's like, "Uh, you know what, I'm not going to touch on it. He's like, I'm not going to – no comment. No no comment. (laughs) It it was pretty funny. Like, you could tell, tell, though, he wanted to be like, those – assholes like sorry for the curse there at the end uh we went we went an hour 40 pg uh but um i, I uh yeah you could tell Sirianni was not happy but uh he wisely gave the no comment it was fun yeah yeah some things you just can't say as a coach but you can say whatever you want as a podcaster so there yeah, you go exactly. we'll put it out there so thank you everyone for joining us for episode number 82 of chalk talk uh, if you enjoy what you heard on the show and we know that you do Be sure you smash that subscribe button. Turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us spread the word. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at halfandhalf underscore TPL. He is at Mark Henry Jr. Uh, You can catch me on YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL for Eagles All-22 breakdowns. Uh, So be sure you check that out as well. Uh, So for me, from Mark, and from the Painted Lines, we will see you guys next week.